I'm not going to rush me. Don't make out to be a liar now. Don't make out to be a liar. Y'all give me time. Now, I, I already foresee that I won't finish, so I'm not going to try. If I were to finish all I had today, we'd be here at about three or four o'clock easily. So I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, we're not going to finish. All right. But we'll get as far as the Lord lets us get today. Amen. Psalm 144. And uh, we'll just read one verse, verse 15. No, we won't. Let's start at verse 11. Psalm 144, verse 11 through 15. You have that? Okay, let's read all together. Ready to read. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood that our sons may be as plants growing up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. Now verse 15 is where we focus uh, this time. It says, happy are the people who are in such a state Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you today for your word we're about to receive. I pray for each person that's gathered here today that, God, that our hearts would be ready, our, our minds be ready to receive, that, God, that whatever you speak to our spirits, that we, don't, we won't flush it out of our souls. But will, Lord, allow it to, to move right through our souls and manifest in our lives. That the revelation knowledge that comes forth today, God, the wisdom that comes forth, God, will meet us right where we are. Deal with every, every situation, every circumstance, God, and cause us to truly become the happy people who are in such a state, the happy people whose God is our Lord. We thank you. We give you praise in advance for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. amen and amen. You may take your seats today in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 15 again says, happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So we talked, uh, began last Sunday talking about happiness. And so today we're going to continue in that subject, in that vein. And uh, today I want to talk about, as Lord allows us, and we can get really into it. Depends on how far you let me get into it. Overcoming the enemies of happiness. Overcoming the enemies of happiness. Glory to God. We based this, we came out of, you know, it was 4th of July weekend uh, here, uh, here recently. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we talked about the preamble uh, to the uh, United States Declaration of Independence which uh, makes this statement that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. You remember that? Yes, and uh, I talked about how all 56 men who signed that declaration were actually slave owners. But they talked about all men being created equal. That was interesting. Then it says that, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So last week we talked from the subject, the hapless pursuit of happiness. The hapless, H-A-P-L-E-S-S, hapless pursuit of happiness. Why hapless? Because the word hapless means that it doesn't happen. It, it can't actually happen. And so we talked about, uh, I believe in, in, in clear text, how uh, if you chase happiness, you're going to really frustrate yourself. Because God never called us to chase happiness. So I showed you how last week, how uh, Jesus Christ already did everything it, it took for us to enjoy life, liberty, and happiness. Life, he gave us John 10, 10, 
Amplified Bible, uh, John 10, 10, Jesus says that I have come. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, or destroy. But I have come that you might, what? Have, have and enjoy life and have it how? In abundance. In abundance to the full. Still it overflows. So Jesus came so we could have life. So we don't have to go trying to find life. We don't, need, we don't need to get saved and then try to get life. No, the moment you get born again, you have life. We read in 1 John where it says, he that has the son has life. He that does not has, have the son does not have life. All right? Tell your neighbor, you got life. Then we talked about how liberty was already afforded to us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. You may want to underline that in your Bible. Liberty by which Christ has made us free. Christ has made us free. Everybody say, I'm free. It's interesting, our, our praise team saying extensively about that today, how, how we are made free. So we're supposed to be enjoying freedom. I taught a message here a few weeks ago about how to walk in freedom. So we're meant to walk in freedom, to live free. Praise the Lord. So we've already been given that. Amen. So life, liberty, and the Declaration of Independence says the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. So I, I, I looked that up and I shared it with you last week. What does that mean, the pursuit of happiness? I found this on uh, yourdictionary.com and they define it as this way. The pursuit of happiness is defined as a fundamental right to freely pursue joy and live life in a way that makes you happy. Okay? This is our fundamental right. As long as you don't do anything illegal, praise the Lord, or violate the rights of others. So other people have the right to life, liberty, and of course, I'm going by the declaration, the pursuit of happiness. So you can't be happy or make yourself happy at the expense of someone else's life or someone else's liberty or someone else's pursuit of happiness. Okay? So that's how they define it. But as I told you, this, I, we, we preached last week the hapless pursuit of happiness. Because anytime you get caught up trying to chase happiness, you're going to end up sad and frustrated. Because God never called for us to pursue happiness. Right? Now, we went over this last week about everyone has very varying ideas of what happiness even looks like. If I were to ask one person what would make them happy, one person, you know, a single person might say, I'll be happy when I finally get married. But there may be a married person saying, I'll be happy when I finally get a divorce. Okay? One person may be saying, I'll, I'll be happy when I finally have a child. Another person may be saying, I'll, be, I'll finally be happy when my child leaves home. So, so the, the, what makes, makes people happy varies based on that person's desires, that person's status in life. Okay? And because of that, and I'll get into, we probably not, not today, but we'll get into this as we go, that that issue is what, what uh, the market uses for profiteering. It's something called consumerism. We'll talk about it later on. They use that, that moving target. Ever-changing target as a means of profit and gain. But I want you to understand that we don't have to pursue happiness. We're called to pursue God. Is that right? Because God wants to, and he knows how to make us happy. I said God wants us happy, and he knows how to make us happy. Glory to God. Some people think that if, you know, they, they want 
they want other people to make them happy. But no other person has the ability to make you happy. Glory to God. If you're getting married and you hope your husband or your wife is going to make you happy, you better stop now. Just, just, just stop the presses, stop the train right now because it's not their responsibility. You preaching, Rep. It's not even their responsibility. Don't even put that weight on them. To make you happy. If you're not happy when you come in, matter of fact, your Bible tells you, I'm talking to the single men now. All the single men, all the single men. All, listen, it's better to live in a field. It's better to live in a corner on the rooftop than to live in a house with a contentious woman. So if that woman contentious, she's not happy, man, it's better just, you know, just... If she's going to put you in the doghouse, let me go to the doghouse. Praise the Lord. So, so you got to already be happy coming in. And don't expect other people to make you happy. It's not your employer's job to make you happy. It's not your pastor's job to make you happy. Oh, you're hearing me. But there is somebody who loves you beyond comparison who has made it his personal job to make you happy. And that's Father God. God knows how to make you happy. Tell your neighbor, God knows how to make you happy. And he wants you happy. In other words, God knows what things to do that will make you happy. Get, get Psalm 126 verse 1 real quick. Psalm 126 verse 1. Glory to God. Glory to God. I said glory to God. And look at this. It says with the Lord brought. Matter of fact, listen, let's, uh, give me the uh, message translation on this, on this here. Psalm 126 verse 1. A pilgrim song. It seemed like a dream too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles or when God set us free. When God sets you free, it, it's, it should feel like a dream to you. If, if you're... If you're Listen to this, don't be mad. If you're not living a dream life, you're not, you're not walking in your freedom. When God sets you free, you're supposed to feel like a dream life. Well, what's wrong with me? You are, even though he has already set you free, you are still emotionally or soullessly tied to things that are keeping you bound. You've not yet pulled down the strongholds in your, oh Jesus, I'm preaching different. You've not yet pulled down strongholds in your own mind, things that you are tied to, uh, uh, lifestyles you are tied to, thoughts you are tied to, mindsets you are still tied to that are keeping you living uh, a nightmare as opposed to living a dream. Because the free life is the dream life. Look here, verse 2, please. Verse 2, we laughed, we sing, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. Look at verse 3. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. Now when you say God was wonderful to us, go, go back to the New King James Version on verse 3. Look at verse 3. This is the way we know it. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. So if I put it together, I can say the Lord has done great things for us and we are one happy people. Yes. 
So I can say the Lord does great things for John and John is happy. Hallelujah. Some of y'all still hadn't smiled yet. You're, you're looking like God hadn't done any great things for you. When he, see, God does these great things for you to make you happy. Are you understanding this? How many parents do I have in here? Why do you do great things for your children? Some of y'all, oh, it's because I love them. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You don't do great things for the, because you love them. You do, you do the minimum because you love them. No, y'all in here. You do, you do the minimum because you love them. See, I love you, so I provide for you. I love you, so I provide for you. So I'll make sure you have, you know, a roof over your head. I'll make sure you have food in your belly. I'll make sure you have clothes in your back. But the, with, if I buy the Nikes as opposed to the Ikes, it's because I want you happy. Y'all see y'all, y'all fooling. Right? Right, the reason why you buy what you buy and do what you do is because you want them really happy. Because you know you won't go to jail if all they have is peanut butter and jelly. Come on now, all the law says is I gotta feed you. That's all the law says. So if I get you peanut butter and jelly and some ice cold milk, you'd be just fine. You, you can't go and tell somebody you're hungry. If you're hungry, that's your fault. See, I provided that I love you. But because I want you happy, you want some Chipotle? Come on now. Because I want you happy. Y'all, it don't take all that. I tell you what, give your child a choice between peanut butter and jelly and Chipotle and see which one they choose. Am I right about this? Okay, so what I'm saying to you is the reason God does great things is not because he loves us. Can I tell you something? Here's the truth. He loves everybody. Your Bible says he makes the rain to fall on the just as well as the unjust. He makes the sun to shine on the just as well as the unjust. Now let me let me let me let me hit something here that I just I just said here because when I said rain, mostly when you hear rain, the connotation you think of is is negative. But rain with God is never negative. We keep talking about you know every little life, little rain must fall like that's negative. No, whenever God talks about rain, rain is always positive. The Bible says He sends the rain to conf to, to confirm His blessings upon us. So rain is good. So when God says he rains on the just as well as the unjust, that means he, he's going to do this just because he loves everybody. But for us, he does great things so we can be happy. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, God wants you happy. And he knows how to make you happy. In other words, God knows just what you were really like. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Are y'all hearing me today? Thank you, Lord. How many of y'all want to be happy? Come on, don't fool me. You want to be happy. Well, good, because God wants you happy. Glory to God. It's, it's a good marriage when you got somebody who likes to cook and somebody, another person who likes to eat. 
Isn't that right? I, I don't mean, I'm not talking about husband and wife. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people. You know, to, you know if you got a restaurant, they, we love to serve people. Good, I love to be served. You understand? So when you got one person who loves to receive something, another person loves to give something, well, that's a beautiful thing right there. How many of y'all love to be happy? You enjoy being happy. Well, good, God enjoys making you happy. Glory to God. He gets a kick out of us being happy. Now, I got I to gotta be the religious devil right here. Because, because I know it may not be you, you sitting here because y'all want to hear what I got to say, right? But there, you know, we have, we have hundreds of people who watch us online all the time. I, I, I kid you not. There are people, I, I could venture to say thousands because we were to tally all the numbers up. So people are watching us all over the world right now. And there's some, some religious uh, person who's got a religious devil. Oh, I almost called them religious devil. So the religious person with a religious devil who wants to condemn me for what I'm saying right now. Who wants to say that to preach and tell people that God wants them happy is unspiritual. That I shouldn't preach about that. I should preach about you living right. How many of y'all already know you got to live right? Okay, good. We can move on past that. Come on now, right? You can tell you that, but I'm already past that. I'm already past that. I already know I got to live right. I already know I got to walk right. We're past that. Man, that's why Paul even talked about that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. He knows when you're happy with him, now you'll repent. Oh, you know what? I don't want to do that no more. So let, let's beat this devil that makes people say that to preach about you being happy, you know, that's why people, you know, they, they want to beat on, you know, people like Joel Osteen. You know, I know Joel is the deepest brother in the world. You know, he's not giving, a, you know, a bounding revelation, but, you know, he helping people be happy. And if he just, if he just do what he teaches, you're going to be happy. Glory to God. You got to start out with a joke every week. Well, that, it may, if, it, if it brightens somebody's day, let it brighten their day. How, what are you, why are you going to keep judging another man's servant? He's God's servant. He's God's servant. Why do you keep judging God's servant? He's doing whatever God's telling him to do. And it's making thousands of people happy. What are you doing to make people happy? Well, he shouldn't be teaching that. Well, what you gonna teach? You gonna go to hell? That ain't gonna make people happy. Matter of fact, that's not even news to them. They already know that. Tell me how to get out of this mess here. So you know I'm dealing with this this religious devil, and I gotta make sure you understand that Jesus Christ wants you happy. Jesus Christ, he, you know, if if, if preaching on on happiness is unspiritual, then Jesus Christ is unspiritual. Because perhaps his greatest sermon he's ever known to preach was in Matthew 5. What they call the Sermon on the Mount. Can I show you the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 and verse 1. And I'm in, I'm in the Amplified. I want to show you Jesus Christ wants you happy and he preached on happiness. Matthew 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came. Are y'all listening to all y'all religious devils out there in TV land?
mean, people, people like to say stuff about us. You know, they do. So, but let's look in the Bible. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, verse 3, blessed, happy, to be envied and spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of the outward conditions are the poor in spirit, the humble who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy. Well, he kept going. Verse 4. Blessed and enviably happy. With a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When they, when, when they get comforted, they're made happy. Oh, y'all see that? Verse 5. Blessed. Happy. Blithesome. That's like an ecstatic happiness. Joyous, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward condition, are the meek, the mild, patient, long suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Y'all got enough? Verse 6 Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. Isn't that when you're happy, when you're completely satisfied? You go to a restaurant? I ain't going to talk about food. <coughs> completely satisfied. Not, just, not, not only it was a lot, but it was tasty. That's when you sit back and you start rolling. Get your two pigs. Not at the table, though. You don't do it at the table. Verse 7, blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction to God's favor and salvation, regardless of the outward, outward conditions of the merciful, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed, happy, enviously, en enviably fortunate, and spiritually prosperous. They're all getting the picture. Yeah. Possessing the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his grace, so on and so forth. Verse 9, blessed, enjoying yeah. enviable happiness. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. I keep seeing this phrase here, enviable happiness. The happiness that other people envy. This is what our lot is supposed to be in life. And this isn't just some new age, you know, uh, uh, you know, milk, milk toast church preaching. This is Jesus teaching. Some, sometimes I think we've gotten so deep, so spiritually deep, we, we sorrowful. We're deep and sorrowful, deep and sad, deep and grieving, deep and mean. You ever seen mean Christians? Serve the Lord with gladness. Well, you don't look glad, sister. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Well, serve with gladness, bro. Matter of fact, if you read in, I think, I believe it's Deuteronomy 28, and media will find it for me, that one of the, one of the uh, elements of the curse, you know, when you read Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 through 14, talks about all the blessings. But you start verse 15 and 16, it talks about all the curses through verse 64 or so. And somewhere in that whole line, one of the elements of the curse was God said, because you did not serve me with gladness for all the good things I do, I, that I did for you. 
What is it? Verse, verse 47. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. Watch this. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. God says, so I gave you an abundance of everything so you can have joy and gladness. So if you're not going to be glad and rejoice when I do all this stuff for you, then you, go, you get to get back in it and have all that other stuff then. You're not going to be happy when I bless you and just stay sad and be over there in the world then. See, I'm showing you that it is not, I just want to make sure you understand. It is not unspiritual. And it is not um, shallow for us to be talking about happiness. Because it, I told you last week, it would seem that the body of Christ would be the happiest people on the planet. And yet, if you were to kind of look around at Christians, you're like, why are you so sad? You got prune face and puckered lips like you're sucking lemons. What's wrong with you? Praise the Lord. So tell your neighbor, it's not unspiritual to talk about happiness. God wants me happy. God wants you happy. And he knows just how to make us happy. Hallelujah. I wonder, could I get a smile out of everybody, right? Just a quick smile, a quick smile. Look, check your neighbor, check your neighbor. Look at, look at them. See if, see if they're smiling yet. If they ain't smiling, poke them and say, pay attention now. We're going we to get you happy before the day over. Now, I, I, I got I to just be honest with you and transparent. Because, because, first of all, when I talk about that religious demon, uh, he, I'm just working on other people, but he was trying to work on me in this, see? See, because I'm preaching this, you know, I understand, you know, I'm used to preaching, you know, revelation, knowledge, and, you know, these deep things about faith and the kingdom of God. And when I'm preaching about happiness, you know, this, I was like, wow, this is, this is, oh. <laughs> but the Lord told me to preach this. So I had to really fight against that religious devil trying to keep up on me and make me think, you are preaching like basics, elementary stuff. But I know it's needed. Because I look at your face. Praise God. But it's all changing, amen? It's all changing. I'm getting my happiness back. I'm choosing to be happy. Come on, I'm choosing to be happy. Say it again, I choose to be happy. I refuse to be sad. I choose to be glad. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, I told you last week that there are forces that are working against our happiness. Now, I mentioned to you uh, one, let's look at one here, Isaiah 61 verse 3. Isaiah 61 verse 3 identifies one. This is part of uh, what Isaiah prophesies that Jesus Christ even comes about later in Luke 4 and talks about here. He says uh, the anointing is on him, uh, talks about in verse 2, but it goes in and says to console uh, those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So I want you to see that he identified here one of the enemies of our happiness is something called the spirit of heaviness. Everybody say the spirit of heaviness. The spirit. You remember in uh, in Luke, uh, I believe is is Luke sixteen. Luke Luke sixteen. There was a story of a woman who had been bowed over for uh, eighteen years, and Jesus identified what was what her issue was. He didn't say she had lupus. He didn't say she had you know multiple sclerosis. He said she had a spirit of infirmity. You remember that. 
He said, woman, you are loose from your spirit of infirmity. So she had this infirmity all these years in her life. And, uh, it's, and the Bible says she could in no way raise herself up. Do y'all hear that? So because she had this spirit of infirmity, she couldn't raise herself up. It didn't say she wouldn't. It didn't say she, she didn't try. It says she couldn't. She could in no way raise herself up. Why? This spirit of infirmity was oppressing her life, keeping her in sickness, keeping her in this physical bondage. Are you sick? You hear me? So the spirit of infirmity isn't just, you know, I got a cold this weekend or, you know, uh, pneumonia came on flu, you know, or, you know, my, I had a back pain because I, I bumped, you know, fell off the bed or whatever. This is, this is a spirit of infirmity that for 18 years controlled her life. Are you hearing me? So when we see here in Isaiah 61, verse 3, the spirit of heaviness, he doesn't, he doesn't just visit. He comes to stay. So when the spirit of heaviness is operating, he's going to get a person where they are sad, lethargic, dis, uh, or uninterested in activities. You know, these, these are some of the signs they say, you know, identify when you're depressed. You become lethargic and you, you, you disconnect and you, you start to, to not participate in activities. And, and, and in fact, they, they say depression is there when you're, you're this way for two weeks or more. In other words, if you just had kind of a, you know, blue Monday, they say that's not really depression. But depression is set in when it's, it's lasted for, I'm talking about what they say. You know they. They live, they live over there by them. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And so they say, when it's two weeks or more, it's depression that's set in. Well, what we know it is, is called the spirit of heaviness that has entered in. He found a way to get in there, and when he get, once he gets in there, he's coming to stay. So the Bible says he's given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, all right? So the spirit of heaviness is an enemy to our happiness. When he's heavy on you, he, he's not going to let you be happy. That's why you have to force yourself. I choose to be happy. I have to overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony. I've got to defeat him because it's a real spirit. It's not, not just you feeling blue. It's not, not just you just sad a little bit about something. It's, talk, it's talking about a spirit is trying to, to uh, operate and dominate in your life. Are you hearing me? Okay. Then we talked about last week, this, uh, the other enemy, we're talking about really the granddaddy of them all, who, who this spirit of heaviness works for. He's employed by somebody, and it's Satan. So if you look at 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, verse 8, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, here's who that spirit of heaviness works for. It says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, or because your adversary the devil, your adversary the devil, adversary means an enemy, right? So your enemy, the devil, so the enemy of your happiness is identified clearly right here as not your spouse. It didn't say your adversary, your spouse. It didn't say your adversary, the boss. It didn't say your adversary, the white man. It didn't say your adversary, the government. It didn't say your adversary, your cousin. It didn't say your adversary, your neighbor. It said your adversary, the devil. So the guy who's responsible for all the strife, all the confusion is the devil. And it says he goes about or walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay? So he goes uh, to, to get people uh, discombobulated. <laughs> then let's, let's just read verse 9 here while we're there. Because it says here's how, how, how you deal with him. You resist him. 
Because we're talking about today uh, overcoming the enemy. So one way, the main way you overcome the devil is by, you, by resisting him steadfast in the faith. So use your faith to resist him. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So the devil doesn't have power over you. He's not stronger than you are. But if you, don't, if you tolerate him, he will begin to operate and dominate in your life. You got it? You all understand that? And listen to me very carefully. All you saints of, of the Most High God, full of the Holy Ghost, faith, and power, he can operate in anybody. Even if you save, Holy Ghost, fill, speak it in tongues, fire, baptize, that's why your Bible tells the Christian, the Holy Ghost filled Christian, to give no place to the devil. Give no place to the devil. In other words, give no room for him to come in your life. Because we used to say back in the old days, if you let him ride, what we used to say, he'll want to drive. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. So don't let the devil have any place. So you have to be very cognizant. The Bible says we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So in other words, you got to be so aware. That's why it says back in verse 8, be sober. You can't be drunk on the world. You got to be sober and clear thinking where you can see and recognize. Then it said be vigilant. That word vigilant means to be aware or to be watchful, be on the lookout for because the devil is coming against you. So you got to be on the lookout for when, for when and where he's operating because he is coming just as sure as you are here. He is coming because he doesn't want you happy. Why? He's not happy. The devil's not happy. And so he's going to keep coming. So you got to be on the lookout for him. Tell your neighbor, be on the lookout for him. Glory to God. All right. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's deal with this here in my remaining time. I just saw the clock, so we just, we'll just flow. All right. Okay, so again, it says here, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil. He is your adversary. He has made himself your adversary. He lives to steal, kill, and destroy from you. You got it? He's not playing around. Okay? And his goal is to get you unhappy because if he can get you unhappy, which let, let, let me be clear, happiness is an emotion. You understand it? Yes. Happiness is an emotion. But if he can get you in the emotion of unhappiness, he can emote you out of um, your place in God. When I say place, I, the word I really mean is your fellowship. You, were, you know the word emote. It, what it literally means is e is like to eject. It means to move or, or, or out. Moat is movement. So he's trying to move you out of your fellowship with God. Move you out of your right uh, walk, your right, your right stand. He's trying to move you out of that. And so as, as subtle as it may be or as simple as it may sound, he uses this thing simply called unhappiness. Oh, y'all not him. See, see, the, the devil, the devil already knows for most of us, he can't come to you, Barbara, and tell you, try to convince you that Jesus Christ didn't die. And didn't rise again. And isn't coming back. We know that. Right? My faith is already there. 
He can't come to you and tell you, you know, something like, you know, God is dead. Because you ought to, you ought to have that. He, I mean, there, there, there are things that are, that are so solid because you're walking in faith. You are so solid in your faith. Hey, you know, the devil, he can't, he can't, he can't trick me with that stuff. He can't, he can't get me back out there smoking weed. I'm done with weed. He can't get me back out there fornicating and all. He can't get me back that. He can't get me with that stuff. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm more than a conqueror. And here you are talking about your. And yet, he knows a scripture that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. <laughs> so he knows he can't get you with doctrinal issues. Y'all better catch this, what I'm telling you. He knows you're already strong. You already got experience with God and you already have mastered. You've been to ground school and you've been taught well and I know that God is alive and Jesus Christ is coming back. I know that. But he's the most subtle of all creatures. So he doesn't have to get you with something big. He comes at you with something small. I'm going to show you some things here. Depending on how much time you give me here. That, that how he works against God's people to get us in an unhappy state. Because if he can get us in an unhappy state, it'll cause people to move up and out of the church. Wasn't nothing wrong with the church. Or up and out of a job. Wasn't nothing wrong with the job. Or up and out of a marriage. Wasn't nothing wrong with the marriage. Well, wasn't more for most part, nothing wrong with the marriage. But, but up and out of a city. I gotta go to Atlanta because that's the only way I'm gonna be happy. Till you gotta drive and take you five hours to get to work and five hours to get home. Now you're unhappy again. Right? Because there's a state. I'm talking about God's people, right? So you, your adversary, the, the adversary, the enemy of God's people is Satan. And he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now I want you to show you there's a group of guys. I want to show you there's a group of guys who, who found themselves unhappy. Go to 1 Samuel, please, and chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's back in Old Testament. I said hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. Y'all are receiving something today. I said you're receiving something today. You're being educated. You're being schooled. And you're going to be aware of the devil. You're going to become very aware of how he's operating. You're going to put him to flight. You're going to begin shutting and closing off every door, every avenue, every loophole you left open. You're about to shut it all down right now. Glory to God. If, you, if you're there in your house and when you look up and there's a mouse in your house. You don't just kill the mouse. I go. I gotta go find out how did this mouse get in my house? Cause if you don't, guess what? You gonna look up next week. There's gonna be another mouse, and that mouse gonna bring seven more mouse mice. More evil. You gonna bring Mickey and Minnie and Mighty Mouse? They gonna all be in your house. 
They're going to bring Donald Duck and Goofy. They're going to all be in your house. Your house going to be... <laughs> you're going to be a zoo, are you? Everybody be snapping at each other. The husband and wife going to be snapping at each other. You're going to be kicking the dog and the children ain't going to be able to do anything right. How did this happen? Because you let Goofy and Minnie and Billy and all them people in your house. Because you got the original mouse out, but you didn't close the hole. What I want to teach you is how to close these holes. Is that all right? I'm, I don't want to be unhappy. It, it, it doesn't feel good to be unhappy. You ever been unhappy trying to eat? And the food don't, it don't even taste good when you're unhappy. Man, I'm telling you, glory to God. Glory to God. First Samuel 22 and uh, verse 1. Watch this. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. But look at verse, 22, verse 2, please. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Wow. Now I want you to notice here the condition of these people. It said they were in distress. Everyone. They were in debt. And they were discontented. That word discontented, if you look over, if you've got a good Bible, a center column reference will say something like bitter of soul. In fact, that word discontented, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it's the, it's the Hebrew word mar, M-A-R, where we get mara. You remember when uh, Naomi, Naomi in the book of Ruth, she, when she went to, to the city, she said, don't call me Ruth, uh, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I'm bitter. In other words, she's sad. She's unhappy with life. And so your Bible says that these people were in distress, Come on. In debt. And this, one, this obviously wasn't comfortably in debt because if they were comfortably in debt, they wouldn't have gone to David. This, this debt is eating them up. <laughs> they're in distress, they're in debt, and they're discontented, and he became a captain over them. So he's got a whole unhappy bunch. I mean, David is... I mean, he already dealing with the fact he's on the run. But then he gets all these folk around him, and, and this, this is the people God given him to fight with. Lord, I'm for real. Okay. All right, I know you're on my side, Lord, but this, this is the group you're giving me. These fellas, they all, and, and notice, notice what it says here. When I said fellas, I, it came to me. And there, it said about 400 men. That means these men were depressed. They crying. See, I got to say that because a lot of times people think men don't get emotional and men don't have to, I'm talking, see, I see this, some of y'all looking at me funny. Men don't deal with emotions, but men deal with emotions as much as you deal with emotions. Now, listen, I'm just going to tell you there have been times, there have been times 
where I have cried like a baby. Now, my wife might not have seen it. I might have been off, off somewhere where she couldn't see me, but I was crying like a baby before God. Y'all ain't. Y'all so hard. Pass the soft. Try me. I'll show you soft in a minute. Let's, let's not even get that bent out of shape. I'm talking about, I'm a real man though, but I understand emotions is not a, a female thing or a male thing. It is a human thing that every person on this planet has real emotions. So just like women don't like their emotions to be played with, I got news for you ladies. Men, we don't like our emotions played with either. Can I get a witness right here? If we don't manipulate you, don't try to manipulate our emotions either. I know I'm right about this here. And men are carrying this weight. They're in distress. Men, they're in debt. These men, they're discontented. They're unhappy with their lot in life. They're, again, the Hebrew talks about bitter of soul. Now we know we've talked about bitter women. But these are bitter men. You ever run up on a bitter man? I have run up on bitter men. Men, men, how many of y'all watched this movie, saw this movie called um, um, Fences? You remember that movie Fences? Denzel Washington played this movie and he, he was, you know, just set in the, you know, old days, whatever those days, times were, I'm not sure the time. And I mean, this movie was real. This was just like, this is like, whew, wow. You know, my wife's sitting over and I'm like, wow. Whew. I saw you too. I wasn't doing all that now. But what you saw, the character in the movie was a man who as an adult, he, he, he treated his wife and his child, children, poorly, not because they were doing something wrong, but because he was bitter about his present lot in life. He lived, he had a whole lot of uh, shoulda, coulda, wouldas in his life, things that he never accomplished, things that he never achieved, and he took that lack of achievement or lack of accomplishment out on his family. He was bitter of soul because here he was working hard, trying to make it, working hard, trying to provide. And it seemed like everybody was passing him over on the job and so forth. So he became bitter. And that bitterness made him uh, batter his own family. Bitter men. You don't ever want to run up on a bitter man. You don't ever want to run up a man on a man who's allowed all their regrets to contaminate their thought process. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm talking to somebody right now. And if you are a man in this place and you are right where I'm talking about, you're mad because you didn't make the pros. I should have been in the MLB. I should have been in the NBA, whatever. Should have, could have, would have. Man, get over it, bruh. Let's do it. 
I was supposed to be this. I understand the feeling. But today is a new day. We used to sing this song back in the old days. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow may never be nigh. So, Lord, for my sake, help me to take one day at a time. See, I can't do anything about yesterday. But if I keep looking at yesterday, attaching myself to yesterday, holding yesterday, or letting yesterday hold me, I become a bitter man. Well, that's worth the price of admission right there, boy. I know about a bitter woman. I'm talking about a bitter man. So notice here, these men are really unhappy. And so the, I want you to, wanted you to see that these are, now these are God's people. These aren't heathens. These are Israelites. God's people who have access to the covenant Access to every blessing God has. All his promises to them are, are yet, yea and amen. And here they are, though. They find themselves distressed, in debt, and discontented. They have the covenant of God, and they're not supposed to have any stress, any debt, or any discontentment. These are God's chosen people. Remember the same ones who in Psalm 105 it says, he brought them out with joy and gladness? It's the same ones. And here they are, though. They found themselves unhappy. Everybody say unhappy. unhappy. All right, so let me get into, into one of these today. We'll, we'll do at least one of these. I'm, I'm going to show you three, three, three enemies of happiness. One is comparison. Two is competition. And three is consumerism. Okay? I may not get, I won't get to all those today, so let's deal with comparison. Comparison. It's an enemy of your happiness. Everybody say comparison. Comparison is, of course, when you line up your life against someone else's life. Your family against their family. You line up your car against their car. <laughs> you line up your career against their career. Their ministry, their whatever, whatever, whatever against theirs. You are in a place of comparison. Now, y'all looking at me like you know what I'm, what I'm talking about, but you're doing it all the time. In fact, in fact, it is, can I help you here? It is actually part of human nature to do this. I learned this from a man who was well-versed well and educated in, in uh, human psychology. And he, talked, he taught us, younger brother Tony, uh, taught us about years ago about how uh, every one of us, if, if we walk into a room, we all have a rating system for ourselves. This is how human psychology works. Can I talk about this to Christians? How human psychology works. We all have a rating system. Let's call it one through ten. We all rate ourselves at some number based on who we're around. So in other words, if I walk in to a room 
And uh, there's Devin standing there. And I look at him, I say, okay, what I've done, you know, because we know women do this. Women, women can size up somebody in like 30 seconds. But a man, we kind of, well, I'm just talking about human. I'm not going to talk about female or female. I don't, I don't want to. So humans, we walk up and I, if I see Devin, I, I, I begin in my mind, in my mind, I kind of calculate. I kind of, I, I do a tabulation of him, of his life. I look at how he's dressed, look at what shoes he has on, look at, you know, the, the shade of his, you know, his skin. I look at, I look at, you know, his, the texture of his hair. Now, I'm not talking about looking at like and looking at it. I'm talking about I look at it. it it's, y'all, don't look at me funny. This is, this is instinctive. I know you do it. It's instinctive. You walk into a room and I look at, you know, and I look at his hair. You know, he, he got hair kind of wavy and, you know, he's still got, all, you know, locks on his head and I'm kind of losing my hair. See, see what I'm doing? I start comparing, you know, while, you know, he's got that and then, you know, he got that, you know, light skinned it, you know, skinned it. That's how y'all talk, light skinned it. He's, so he's, you know, lighter tone. And then I, I look at, you know, his size versus my size and his shoes versus my shoes and everything. So what happens is, is I might have walked in feeling like a 10. But if I walk in and he, to me, looks like a 10, I start to feel like a 5. I adjust myself. This happens to every one of us. I adjust myself down based on what I have um, tabulated on his scorecard. Because I know my scorecard walking in. Now, women, y'all do this. You do this all the time. Okay? You walk in and you see a girl, uh, you know, a, a lady or whatever, and you're going, you know, you walk in feeling like a whatever. And you, 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 check, you check her figure first. Am I right? I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. I don't know because I'm not a woman of a bit of woman, so I'm just guessing. I'm just going by what we check out first. <laughs> you look at a woman, you're not looking at, you know, see if she's, is that woman of God? You're looking at a figure first. The first thing you notice is a figure. <laughs> right? I'm just being honest with you. This is just... All right? So, women, you're going to check out her figure. Then you're going to check out her hair, length, the texture. Then, then, then you're, trying, you're looking for, like, lines. Like, is that hers? You know, did, did she buy that or... And if she bought hers and you bought yours, is mine yakky and hers galaxy or is mine galaxy and is hers yakky? You know, you just, you're evaluating. Come on now, am I right about it? You're, see, you're so, I'm telling you, you're tabulating. You are tabulating. Right? And what's happened is, so, so however you felt walking into the room, whether you had yourself at a 10 or a 5 or a 1, if, if you tabulate and your numbers are higher than hers, now you feel like, Ooh. Do you understand? Listen to me. <laughs> Give me the scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Glory to God. It says here, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. Watch this. But they, 
measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, Paul here is talking about, you know, these preachers and apostles who are comparing themselves with each other and so forth. I'm just giving you the principle of this. That notice what it says here, that to measure yourself by yourselves, people to people, person to person, or to compare person to person, it is not wise. It's not wise. What Paul is saying is, for, for, for the, in that, this context here, is that to not compare yourselves with others, with yourselves, is but to compare yourself with God and what his word says about you. And I say that because it is so important for you and for me that we learn to get ourselves or see ourselves in an in Christ image. We begin to see how God sees us. And once I see how God sees me and who I am in Christ, then when I walk in a room, my number doesn't change. Y'all missed that. See, because once I, I'm, I'm talking about going beyond this, this human side. Once I see myself in Christ, in my in Christ image, I am now a perfect 10. Oh, y'all don't I'm flawless. Remember, I preached that a few weeks ago about being flawless. Once I'm in Christ, I am flawless, which means I am a perfect 10. Everybody say I'm a perfect 10. Come on, say in Jesus Christ, I'm a perfect 10. So then that means and because I'm in Christ, I have everything he has. I'm blessed. I'm righteous. I'm healed and I'm rich. So then when I walk into a room with somebody. I don't compare myself with them because I'm a 10 and I can't get any higher or lower. My 10 is steady. So I can walk into a room with a guy who's a billionaire and I walk into him, look him in the eye and shake his hand. I'm not intimidated because I'm, I'm not comparing your wallet to my wallet. I'm comparing your, if I'm going to compare anything, is your wallet to God's wallet, which I have access to. Yeah. Are you seeing this here? So now I don't, I don't deal with the, the uh, dangers of comparison. And comparison is dangerous. One reason why people are so unhappy is because they keep looking at things that are seen as opposed to things that are unseen. Because they keep looking at what other people have and then they look at, well, I don't have that. Now, I'm not dealing with competition yet. We'll do a competition next week. I'm talking about just the, the danger of comparison. I wish my house was like their house. This is what happens. And then sometimes you'll, you'll, you know, put on the Lord. Lord, why? Well, I'm going to get a car like that. Mm -hmm. Why can't you be like so-and-so's wife? I heard she cooks five days a week. Right, I mean, 
Now she might retort, well, she only works two days a week. You want me, right? You want me to cook more, bro? Everybody say comparison. comparison. So you start looking at what somebody else has versus what you have. And you start, as we say, feel some kind of way about your life. It's not that, it's not that you're upset about their life. It's you're upset about your life. You begin to, you, now, 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 think about it. That car or that, that new apartment that you, just, that you moved into, you were so happy when you got in there. You were so happy. Oh, I finally got my own place and I got my own room and I, you know, I got my own stuff and, you know, I finally bought a piece of furniture and got a lamp and, you know, a picture in there. But then you go to somebody else's apartment. Then you go back to your apartment. Now, before you left, you were happy. Am I talking right in this place this morning? So it is not, shut up, my cool down. It's not that your apartment changed. It's you changed. You started comparing what you have or where you are to what someone else has and where, where they are. Not, there's nothing wrong with what you have. Now, watch this. The danger of comparison is that the devil is the one making you do it, right? And he won't stop at comparison. He gets you from comparison to contrasting. There's a difference. In comparison, by definition, you help me out here, y'all educated people, you're looking for similarities. But in contrasting, he helps identify the stark differences. Are you seeing this? Your adversary, the devil, is not going to stop at, oh, look, you, they, they got a car. Look, you got a car. So you won't see, oh, they got four tires and you got four tires. Oh, Jesus, 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 help me out. He, he, he wanted you to see, oh, they got a steering wheel and you got a steering wheel. They got a bumper and you got a bumper. Now, come on now. I'm just, tell the truth. Y'all looking at me with them lying eyes. Tell the truth. You don't see, oh, they got AC and you got AC. You don't see that. You don't see it's going to get you from point A to point, a, point B. It's like it's going to get them from point A to point B. So as opposed to just looking at the similarities, he makes you look at the stark differences. And you start saying, yeah, but... Right, right. You start, you start looking at, yeah, but their, their, their logo is, a, is, is at BMW Crest. And I have this whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't want to call her a name and y'all be like, Pastor, talking about my car. I ain't talking about your car. I don't know nothing about your car. A Pacer, a Gremlin. A Yugo, Yugo. Nobody's driving a Yugo, right? Nobody's driving a Yugo. All right. Now, 
Not the Yugo and the BMW both have four tires. Both have a steering wheel. Both, both have an engine. It's a different engine, but it's both have an engine. Both get you from point A to point B. This DJ may take you longer, but it's going to get you point A to point B. But, but what happens again, rather than you seeing the sameness, he makes sure he points out the differences. So now you move from just comparison to contrasting. And it's that contrasting that brings on this serious dissatisfaction. Is this helping two people? Five of y'all, y'all getting help on this here? So you start to identify the drastic difference between your life and the lives of others. You don't see the fact that, okay, you got married, they got married. In, at, down down at, 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 the, at the circuit court, at the circuit court, when you file your marriage paperwork, you know, after you got married, they, one of them doesn't say $100,000 wedding, the other one says a $80 wedding. It's the same paperwork. Yeah, but they spent $100,000 on their wedding and I didn't get to do that. You ain't even spending money for You don't get a bigger tax deduction for being married because you spent 100000 and they spent eighty five. Tell you that it's the same papers. Are y'all hearing this here? All right. This leads, comparison leads to discontentment. Comparison leads to discontentment. Remember those men in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, they were distressed and debt and discontented. They were bitter of soul. Comparing and contrasting leads to discontentment. In other words, you have something, but you're no longer content with what you have. You were happy when you originally got it. You were over the top. Oh my God, look what I finally got. Look at this. I got, you know. But then you saw someone else's and now you're discontented with what you have. And what happens is if you're not careful, that discontentment or that unhappiness goes beyond just the shoes. And it'll start spreading to your whole life. And now I'm, I'm not happy with anything. Because it's like a cancer that spreads. It'll spread through and all of a sudden you're just not happy with anything. And, and whereas that car you got, man, it was the, oh, this is my baby. Now you go out there and you kick it. Bam! Go in there and you, you hit the dashboard. Bam! Now you don't, you don't even wash it no more. Come on now. What's happened? Discontentment. Discontentment. All right. So I want to help you right here. 
and then, then we'll, we'll end here. So what's the remedy? How do we overcome this enemy of happiness called comparison? Easily we could write, just don't compare. <laughs> That's easy, just, just we could say, don't compare. Tell your neighbor, don't compare. But let's help you with that because like I said, comparison and even contrasting almost become, uh, they are instinctive to every human. You have to really, really get a hold of your soul to not allow comparison and contrasting to uh, dominate your life. Okay? So here's how you deal with it. Know your season. This is very simple, ladies and gentlemen. This ain't, this ain't deep. This is, this is, it's deep. Okay, know your season. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Give me that. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Hallelujah. Oh, ho, 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 ho. This does. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. To everything, there's a season. Tell David, to everything, there's a season. Now say it for yourself. To everything, there is a season. Now y'all know seasons change. Now I want you, when I say seasons, I don't want you to think seasons like winter, spring, summer, and fall because those, those are in a cycle. But for us, seasons, they progress. So you, you don't move into a season and out of, a, out of that season into a worse season again. No, you move into one season and then as you grow, you move into your next season. As you grow, you move into your next season. You, you, it's progressive manifestation. So to everything, there's a, perp, there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Y'all got it? Look down for the second time at verse, verse um, 11. Verse 11. He has made, come on, everything beautiful in its time. Oh, just, just, just hit your neighbor and say, know your season. You got you to first, first become really, really aware and really honest about where you are. That you don't get caught up in the mode of trying to be ahead of your season. Trying to be ahead of where you're supposed to be right now. Because if you do that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to become discontented about the state you're in. So I got to first know my season. My wife and I have been married now uh, 18 years. Well, getting ready to be 18. No, yeah, 18 years. Ooh, I was trying to go down. And I'm like, I, no, I just, I'm like, what month is this? this <laughs> now, Devin and Jasmine, they've only been married, they've been married less than a year. They shouldn't be where we are. Now, I see some of y'all, I, I see y'all, y'all faith people. No, we're faith people. Foolish people. Foolish people try to get ahead of their season and call it faith. It ain't faith, it's foolishness. You're going to hurt yourself trying to be like someone else or be what someone else is because they're in a different season than you are, child. Give, give, me, give me Psalm 1. I'm going to come back to that. Don't forget that. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. 
Oh God, are y'all there? Blessed is the man who walks down the council of the ungodly or stands in the path of sin or sits in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates. How often? So I meditate in God's word day and night and when I meditate, he's going to show me something. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. So sometimes you're frustrated because and un- unhappy because your fruit doesn't match someone else's fruit, but it's not the season for your fruit yet. That's right. Settle down where you are. Just chill, relax, enjoy the journey. Come on, tell your neighbor, enjoy the journey. Come on, tell them you're gonna get there. You're gonna get there. Tell them your season is coming. But enjoy the season you're in now. You're in a season right now. Come on now, tell them you're in a season right now. But your season may not be somebody else's season. They're in a different season of life. Somebody who spent 40 years on a job and retired. And they getting all kind of pension and all kind of social security and all kind of money coming in. And here you are, and you ain't you ain't worked ten years or five years straight on a job, and you're trying to live like they live. They always off. Well, you can't always be off cause. They earned that off. They earned all that time off. No, you said you got to go to work. I said you got to go to work. Know your season. comparing your life with their life. He shall bring forth his fruit. Now fruit is a result of seed. So some people have sown a seed to reach a season. If you ain't sown a seed to reach a season, then you ain't. Yo, that season ain't coming. Some people are putting the time and the energy and the effort or the finances or whatever they put in to enjoy a great season. So listen, don't despise your season looking at somebody else's fruit in their season. There's fruit for your season. There is fruit for every season. Identify and enjoy the fruit of your season. Glory to God. It may not be, you know, burn steakhouse season for you. It may be Culver season for you. It may be Taco Bell and not Red Mesa Mercado season for you. But don't enjoy the season. Make the best of your season. It may, may not be Mercedes Benz season for you. But a Mitsubishi, it may be go to the auction and find you one and pay cash for it. It may be that season. may not be your season to go buy you something you know for 100000 but you can buy one for 1000 Know your season. And when you get that one for 1000 you bring it home, you shine it up. Buy, go, go buy you some new car. You know, they sell new car smell. They sell it. You ain't got to finance new car smell. You can go to right to Walmart and you can buy new car smell. 
reason. Get, go, go back to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. Oh God, oh it's so late, my goodness. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Give me that same verse in the, the New English translation, the NET. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time. You ever seen people like stuff don't really fit together in their lives? Wait, wait, there's this house, yeah. My wife and I see this all the time. We kind of like make us scratch our head. People, they they got a, they got a, a brand new Tesla. You know, Tesla, that ain't no twenty thousand dollar car. A Tesla and a one of them Cadillac sedans, a nice little sedan. Both parked outside. They both parked outside. The grass overgrown. The house need to be painted. They ought to pay their house. They can't afford to pay the house. Because they stepped out of their season to go get the Tesla. It wasn't Tesla time. It was Toyota time for you. Ain't nothing wrong with a Toyota. A to you can drive a Toyota for 400,000 miles. You ain't got to, but you can So, so know your season. All right, all right. This is this is how this is how to deal with comparison. All right, gotta quit. Okay. Then the second thing is. Second thing is, once you know your season, be content in your present status. Be content in your present status. Philippians 4 and verse 11. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. See, I'm not, I haven't dealt with distress yet and debt yet. I'm showing you how you get to discontentment. And discontentment comes as a result of comparison and contrasting. And discontentment is one of those little things the devil will use. Because see, if he gets you into discontentment, he'll get your eyes to start wandering. Come on now. Your eyes start wandering. You start looking around at other stuff. Uh -oh. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Verse 11. Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can I change that word state to status? So I've learned whatever my status in life to be content. Now that word content, I don't want you to think complacent. Because one of the most dangerous things that happens to Christians is that we become complacent. God doesn't want us complacent. But we never, we never allow God to move us up. I'm talking about being happily satisfied. Okay, happily satisfied. I've learned in whatever my status is to be happily satisfied. Verse 12, I know, I know how to be a base or I know how to be happily satisfied. I'm a base. 
and happily satisfied when I abound. In other words, I know how to enjoy when, okay, it's this, you know, <laughs> when, you know, my wife and I were talking about yesterday about how, you know, there are those, those times, you know, that we said, no, this not a, you know, this not a good week to do that. You know, when you want to spend some money. No, this is this, this not the week for that. Anybody ever had those weeks where it's, no, this not the week for that? But if it's just, you know, that don't mean we're not happy. I'm cool. Because I know if I just, just stay with it, there's going to come a week for that. So I know how to be a base, I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Verse 13, I can do. I can do. I can be happy. I can be content. I can be satisfied. I can be happily satisfied through Christ or oh, the anointed one, his anointing, which strengthens me. What's the anointing? The anointing is the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God that does you good and makes you glad. So that anointing comes in you to make to do you good and make you glad in no matter where your what your status is. So in my status, in my status, I might not be uh, uh, a home owner like you, but I'm happy with what God has me in now. Or I may not be married like you, but I'm I'm still I don't you don't have to be a sad single. I'm talking to some of y'all singles, sad, and you don't, you what you sad for. You can go where you want. Sad because somebody left. No, Sinead O'Connor had a song. Since you've been going, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Just, I can do whatever I want to do, right? You can go on vacation when you want to. Yeah, that's somebody. You can zip line all across the trees and everything. But if I'm married, I'm not sad about being married either. I've learned as a husband, I can go wherever she wants. We can do whatever she wants to do. We can have whatever she wants to have. Because I've learned happy spouse, happy house. What I'm saying to you is, 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 is those times for us when we didn't, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. We knew how to just go chill for free. Yeah, we used to go to the last party and sit not in the grass, them dollar kites from the, from, the, from the Dollar Tree. We, we couldn't afford to go to Disney World. But you can buy one dollar kites from the, from the Dollar Tree. We were still happy. See, we, and you, and, oh, go, go, back, go back to verse uh, four, uh, 12. He said, I have learned. Are you saying that? I have learned. 
So you have to learn to be happy. I'm trying to teach you how to be happy no matter what your status is. And the way you do that is get your eyes off other people, other people's status, other people's season, and enjoy your season, enjoy your current status. Out of this old one bedroom. Just decorate it. Go get your new rug. Get your little paint. Have, have Jasmine draw you one. You just make it some own personal little, just whatever. Come on, just, just do it. Just whatever. Go buy you some sheets and pillows and a new comforter. Change your comforter every season. I want to be happy in that little one bedroom, that little, that little one twin size or king size bed. Iron them sheets. Boy, you'll make you real happy. Iron them sheets. Wow. I'm, I'm talking about. Let me tell you something. Money does not buy happiness. Did you hear what I said? Tell your neighbor, money does not buy happiness. But you can't rent it. You can't rent it. You can't rent it. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You can rent that habit. You can, you can for, for a little minute. Stand to your feet. I'm ready to quit. I, I, I need to quit. I'm going past time. You can get your rental though, boy. No, seriously, that, that's all money does. All money does is just rent happiness. Money does. It never makes happiness permanent. It only makes it temporary. Because remember, when you're getting the call in the in the pursuit of happiness, it keeps changing. The target keeps changing. I'm gonna show you that here next week. It just keeps changing. So to be happy, I gotta I gotta to overcome this comparison and contrasting. Know my season and be content in my current status. Be content in it. Glory to God. Do what you can do. Now, it's your current status. Enjoy it. Don't despise it. Don't despise the small beginning. Glory to God. You get a hoopty. Man, ride that hoopty, man. Yeah, you can put new hub. They sell hubcaps. You can buy a set of for twenty dollars from 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 the from the store. Just put. No, don't be no fuzzy dice. Don't no fuzzy. Dollar Tree, listen, Dollar Tree, I know it because I buy it. Dollar Tree sells leather wipes. They'll sell armor all and stuff. You ain't got to go to the auto parts store and pay $17. You can go to Dollar Tree. I'm just talking about starting where you are. Enjoy that. And here's the big thing. It's in that place, in that with that attitude, that real character is built. Am I right about this? This is where real character is built. Many times somebody, they, they, they skip seasons and that they, they have no character for the season that they're in. Oh boy, and they wreck. I don't want you to wreck. Enjoy the progress. Did y'all receive anything today? Did y'all learn anything? Come on, don't fool me. Let God know you received.
Let the Lord know. Just give him a praise for that today that you received. Oh, we, we've been taught. We've heard from God today. We have received from heaven today. Come on, let the Lord know I appreciate and I receive. I thank you. Now, just, just let's do this for a moment. Because next week I'll deal with competition. I'll show you which, how you got to deal with competition, too, how you, how you whip that. But for here, let me show you this. Take a moment and think about your season, your current status, no matter where it is, and just begin to thank God. Just begin to thank God. Yo, you got something to thank God for. Everybody in here. I don't care how big or little. If it's brand new or it's been passed down from seven generations, it's yours. It's something God gave to you, something you prayed for, something you asked for, and God bless you with it. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be, so I thank you for right here where I am right now. And just really just thank the Lord. Come on, just, just thank the Lord. I may not have all the designer wear I want to have in my closet, but God, I thank you for the, for the clothes I do have. And if you're going to compare, think about those who don't have anything. They don't have shoes. They don't have clothes. They don't have a home. Well, I don't have my own home yet. I'm, I'm living with somebody else. Well, you got to move over your head. Because there's people that don't have that. So just, I mean, just thank God. I mean, really, just thank God. Everybody in this room, come on. I don't care if you're a young person, teenager, child. Thank God. Seriously, thank God for what you have. Thank God for my mama. Thank God for my daddy. Thank God for my cousin. Thank God for my brother. Thank God. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be starving this afternoon. I, some kind of way God's going to feed me. I'm thankful. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, I wish I could go to, I wish I could go to vacation, but I got to work. Thank the, the Lord for your job. You'll get there. You'll have, you'll have 10 paid weeks off soon. You just, you, just, you know, you'll get there. Just thank God for what you got. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been so good. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In him, I'm a 10. In him, I'm a perfect 10. I'm flawless. I'm rich. Full of wisdom. Full of anointing. Full of creativity, full of power. In him, I'm smooth. You know, you know, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm cool. In him, man, I'm, I'm the talk of the town. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for every mountain you've brought me over. Every valley you brought me through. Thank you for where you brought me from. I know you're taking me somewhere, but I want to say thank you for where you brought me from. Thank you for where I am right now. I appreciate you, Father. I appreciate you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, today we do corporately thank you and bless you for all you've done for us. We declare, even as the psalmist said in Psalm 126, verse 3, that, Lord, you have done great things for us and we are glad. We're one happy people. We're one happy people. God, because when we look around, we will no longer compare ourselves with other people. Thank you for the season that we're in. Thank you for our current status in life. Because when we look back, <laughs> we can already see and know we're much better than we used to be. You've already brought us a mighty long way. And so, God, we just really appreciate really just how good you've been to us. Thank you. God, forgive us for becoming unhappy about what you've done for us. Forgive us for looking at what you've done for others or forgive us for looking at the prosperity of the wicked. You said for us to be not envious of evildoers of the wicked. Don't look at that. You said don't look at that. Don't look at that. You said it'll, it'll soon fade away. It'll, it'll, it'll fall like the grass. So we don't look at that. We look at we look at what you're doing for us. <laughs> We're looking at what you're doing and what you've done for us. God, if we want to count every blessing, name them one by one, God, we spend all of our days. So, Lord, we just want to say thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for what you've done to make us happy. And thank you, Lord, because we know that you want us to be happy all the time. Now, Lord, today as your people, we choose to be happy. We choose to be happy. We choose to rejoice. We choose to celebrate where we are. We choose to celebrate what you've done. We choose to live in thanksgiving. We choose to give you a sacrifice of praise. We choose, God, to always glorify and magnify your name. For you're worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Now, today, just continue to strengthen us and help us as we develop into character. Because we know that this season won't be forever. This season will change. And you'll be moving us into the next phase, the next season of our lives. Because your word says you increase us more and more, us and our children. So we know that more is coming. We know more is coming. <laughs> more is coming. More is coming. Everybody say that. Say more is coming. Hallelujah. More is coming. Thank you for now. But Lord, more is coming. And God, and we say, hallelujah, more is coming. But thank you for now. We appreciate and we celebrate now. Now I pray that you just strengthen each, each person in this place that will cut off this 
path will close up this door, this hole where Satan has been getting in, causing us to be discontented. Rather than being discontented, we choose to be happy. We thank you for it. We give you praise for it. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now one more time, please give our Father God a great big hand of praise. <laughs>